I was preparing and I felt this prophetic word, and I have prophesied already, but on this day, this very day in 1862, U.S. President Abraham Lincoln stands up and makes a statement that would change the future, the landscape of this incredible land. He declares that on the 1st of January, the January to come, in every state, every slave will walk into freedom. This is a significant moment. There's a declaration that is coming from this place that would set the captives free. There's a declaration that God wants to bring from this nation into the future of this land of a freedom that God desires for people to walk in. What he was saying here is that things are not going to be the same again. Get ready. Because what is coming is going to require every single person, no matter where you find yourself, to position yourself mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically for change that will transform families, businesses, social structures, friendships, neighborhoods, schools, and cities. Would you prepare yourself, people, for the freedom that God wants to bring? Because it's going to not just change your life, but it's going to change the lives of those around you. I believe in the same way God is calling this church Monument Church. Don't diminish the value of what you bring into this community. Don't say that I'm only nine months old or ten months old, but today get ready to position yourselves and prepare yourselves for the freedom that God is wanting to use this church to bring into Gaithersburg and the greater D.C. area. There are many slaved in their sin, unbelief in their sicknesses, in brokenness and arrogance and deception, like dry bones lying in a valley waiting for the words of life to be spoken. <laughs> Ezekiel, what do you see? The hand of the Lord was on me. The hand of the Lord is on this church, and He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of this valley. There is a great many people that we are called to reach. Bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? Monument Church, what do you see? Monument Church, what do you believe? Monument Church, what is it that you're trusting for? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to those bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover your skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied, Ezekiel says, as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise. Can you hear the noise? There is a noise. I believe we need to tune into the noise that God desires for us to hear. A rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone upon bone. There is a laugh in every word we speak. Sir, there is life in your marriage. You just need to speak it. There is life in your business. You just need to start speaking it. The first words that were ever used in Scripture were not words to communicate, but they were words to create. In Genesis 1, God said, and there was. 
How powerful are the words of those who would stand up and start to declare something of the life of God into the environments that God has called them to because we are empowered by the Spirit of God, not by earthly education. It's the power of God that breathes life. Oh, man. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared. And then it must have been quite a a gross uh, moment, but just seeing all these guts and stuff going... Into the, you know, just I would have probably just passed out. I was like, wow, this is just too much for me, you know. But anyway, this is what happened is these bones and everything and skin and started to wrap these, these bodies. And, and I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Oh, how powerful is that? We live in a breathless society. The life is not in the bones and the structures and the, the stature of our society, the life is in the breath. There is a breathless, lifeless society waking up every morning, going to work, earning the money to pay the bills, to have a nice car and house and vacation, and then what to do to go to sleep that night and to do it all over again tomorrow. For me, that is breathless. There's no life. (laughs) Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. These are the people of Gaithersburg. These are the people of the D.C. area, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. That's the narrative of our communities. And then it goes in verse 12, Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. What I open your graves and bring you up out of them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. I trust that the testimony of this church monument will be one which says that God did it. (laughs) Not our structures, not our gifts, Not our finances, not our resources, not our incredible great ideas. But one day in 50 years time, people will look back at this group of people and say, we are so grateful that they sowed seed in the ground of trusting in God, not trusting in man's ability. May people look back at our marriages and say, I'm so grateful that even though two opposites are completely uh, different, that they trusted in God for the fruitfulness of what God had called them to. There is something that needs to be awakened in our hearts again, that we are a God-trusting people. Yeah? Are you there? All right. Just as Abraham Lincoln stood up, 557 years ago and spoke life and future into those who were enslaved by man's oppression. So today God is calling you and I to stand up in the authority that we have in Christ to speak life and a future into those who are enslaved by the spiritual oppressions of our age. Are you there? Okay, good. That's what I felt just prophetically for Monument Church this morning. And so, Father, I pray that seated in this room are nation changes. Seated in this room are people, God, who want to say again, here I am, God, send me. Let me be used by you. Let me be empowered by you for the sake of the future of humanity. Amen. All right.
So if you don't know, my name is Mark McKinley. <laughs> oh man, when you've got something going, you just have to keep going until you're done. And then you're like, okay, this is who I am. Uh, I'm married to Megan. We have three children. Uh, they're back in South Africa. Joel, who is 14. Benjamin, who is 12. And our little Ruth, who's nine years old. And uh, it's just an absolute delight to be here with you. It really is. And to PJ and Ashley and the leadership team, thank you so much for allowing me the, the absolute privilege of being able to communicate this morning. So I'm going to carry on in the Imitate series. And uh, so if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. I'm actually going to be reading from the message uh, translation, so you might sort of get a bit lost along the way. But I trust that uh, you would uh, just hear the words and, and in a sense follow up. I don't know what you were doing on the 11th of September 2001 at 8.45 a.m. in the morning. Can you remember what you were doing? Who doesn't? You maybe were sleeping, but you remember that. You remember? Okay, cool. I remember, and, and where I live, it was the afternoon. It was 2.45 in the afternoon when I drove my car into uh, the driveway where I was living, and, and the landlord in the house, he was shouting at me, saying, Mark, come inside. Come and see what's going on. And, and I can remember opening the door, closing. I walked up these stairs, went through the front door of his house. I got into this dimly lit uh, living room. He had some green couches. It really wasn't a great day court place. But anyway, and, then, and as I walked on these creaky wooden floors, I looked on the TV screen and I was like, man, what's going on here? This looks like some Hollywood movie of some sort, you know? And he, see, he was just like fixated on the TV going, oh my goodness, this is really happening. Oh my goodness, this is really happening. And I was like, yo, bro, are you okay? And he's like, this is really happening. And, and I remember that time where I just looked upon the screens as I saw this, the imagery of this burning building in New York City. Across the world, we were fixated on our screens at a specific moment in time. I remember sitting there just totally overwhelmed by what I was seeing, that I, I had to sort of just remind myself that this was live television as I saw a second air, aircraft coming in and obviously taking the South Tower. I, I believe that there are some 9-11 experiences that every single one of us have had in our personal lives. I believe that, that this ability, so many years later, to remember the detail of what you were doing, they call it flash bulb, flash bulb sorry, not, not, not SpongeBob, but flash bulb memories, where you're able to have a look at something in a moment of crisis, in a moment where the world that you know it starts to crumble down in front of you. It's that moment where you are told that you have incurable cancer. It's that moment where no one has hope for you in the medic world. And, or maybe that moment where your wife comes to you and says, I'm leaving. It's like that world starts to crumble in front of you. And you remember the sights, the sounds, even the taste. You remember everything. Why? Because all of a sudden you realize that you have got no authority to rectify the situation. It's amazing that your brain burns a detailed photograph that is seared into our memories forever. No matter how old we may get, we can recount every sight, sound, and smell we experience at that specific moment. In our lives, you and I, we often have these moments. We often have these times, and you might be living in it right now. Maybe you woke up this morning and your phone rang, and, and you're like, God, this is like this 9-11 experience in my life. Everything is decaying and breaking around me. 
Maybe it's through rejection, financial difficulty, abuse, betrayal, or even death, which has brought your world crashing down to the point that you feel there is no way you can get up and face forward towards the future again. I want to speak to you this morning. I want to speak to you if you find yourself in that space, because my title this morning is Facing Forward. It's facing forward. Have you noticed, now I, I'm no educated individual in sort of the human body, but don't you find it interesting that your body is designed to move forward? Hey, Like your nose is aiming one way. That's amazing. Your eyes are also facing that way. You've got toes that face in that direction. They're not sort of at the edge, at the back of your, your feet. Your knees bend in a specific way to allow motion to take place. I know I'm stating the obvious, but maybe for some of you this morning, this is revelation. Like, wow. I don't know how many of you can see your back. Raise your hands. If you do, wow, God, that's amazing. But we are designed, God has designed our natural earthly bodies to be bodies that move in one direction. Have you ever watched a, a marathon where people are running backward? Doesn't it look a bit awkward? It looks like they sort of are disjointed in some way. The natural progression of humanity is always forward. It's not to retreat. God has not called us to retreat in any way. Even the way He designed you and I is to be people who move forward. But yet today, I believe there are many who are regressing back into the corners of society, into the dark areas of humanity, saying that I'm irrelevant, I have no part to play, I have nothing to contribute, I have nothing actually to say. I am rather, my success would be found in the brokenness of where you throw the trash, rather than stepping up and moving forward into something that actually is meaningless, meaningful and has incredible returns and results. Facing forward, we need to imitate Christ in a way that causes us to be a people that constantly are in, on mission for Him, constantly moving forward, constantly saying, God, if you have created my physical body in a way that moves forward, so, Lord God, how do I position myself to constantly move forward into that which you have called me to? So in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, Paul is describing to this incredible people of just something of his 9-11 experience. But he sort of sets it up. So I want to touch on the first segment, and then I want to touch on the second segment, and then end off on the last segment. So 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 4, and it says this in the message translation. All praise to the God and Father of our Master Jesus, the Messiah. Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel, He comes alongside us. Where does He come? alongside us. When does He come alongside us? He comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and before you know it, He brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Why are you in the situation you find yourself in? It's because there's someone else there. Let me say that again. Why do you find yourself in the situation that you find yourself in? Because God has placed you there because there's someone else there. Amen. All right, we will get it uh, hopefully at the end. We, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. I can move on now. 
We have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, Paul carries on and says. But no more so than the good times of his healing comfort. Yes, that's going to come. There's something of that hope. But while we are here, God, what is this reason for this existence? Why, God, has this crumbled around me? Why have these buildings come? Why has these planes of sickness come, God? I do not understand right now, God, but one thing I do know is that you are right beside me. And if you are right beside me, God, then I'm knowing that there's someone else around, God, that I need to be able to walk alongside for the sake of complete healingness. Why? Because, God, there is something that you're bringing that will transform our lives, that will bring comfort. Why? Because we get a full measure of the, the, the joy of the healing that God will bring in the good times. So the first one is don't bail the process, but bail the presumption. What do I mean by that? How many of us have ever met a colleague of yours and you said, hey man, why didn't you do that? Well, I presumed we didn't have to do it. I just presumed. Presumption is this, this belittling word that, that in a sense takes the responsibility out of any situation that you may find yourself in. Some people even presume that this is just now their new reality. Some people may presume that this is all about me. But it's not. This is not your newfound reality. The situation you find yourself in is not your newfound reality. Don't presume that. Bail, don't bail the process that God has you on because if you're presuming this is the newfound reality, that now this is just it, just I have to live with this, this brokenness in my life, I'm telling you, you're bailing the process of God in your life. But also, if you are a person who is not prepared to see that it's about others, then you will never be trained and equipped to be able to be walking not just yourself, but others out of the situation you find yourself in. God is preparing in every single one of us to be expert guides. Expert guides. What do I mean by that? For, for my wife and I, 10-year anniversary, um, we decided we're going to go and walk with lions. How many of us have ever walked with lions? Look at that. Well, I hope my story is better than yours. But anyway, so we'll just keep going. So, so in a part of South Africa, there's this, uh, we, we, we hooked up this, this tour that you literally go into, into the outdoors and there are live lions that you get to walk with, you know. So there's a bunch of people, people from Germany, people from different parts of the world, and they come together and you sort of put these uh, big boots on and you go out into, in a way, the jungle, you know. So we call the savannah just out into that place. And uh, I remember walking around, sort of looking at everyone around and saying, who can I run faster than? You know, because when these lions are a bit hungry, I know that I can outrun her. <laughs> yeah, good for you, lady. I'm out of here. And, and I can still remember as we were walking and we were so, sort of all a bit sort of spread out, you know, we're just walking with this guide. And uh, he stops and he says, okay, here they come. And over this mountain were these teenage lions. They didn't look like teenagers to me, but they were massive this big, about two of them. And it's amazing how the group becomes quite concentrated at that moment. It's like everyone's sort of just making sure you're not on the outside, you know. And uh, what this guy did, and, and I just want to just describe this thing, is that I would not be standing there if he did not have stories of success. If he said, hey guys, don't worry, this is the first time I'm doing this, We'll see how it goes. Many of us probably would have gone, pew, out we go. 
But we stand because we haven't experienced God. He's tried and tested. I don't know if you've ever sat in an aircraft ready to go down the runway and the pilot goes, this is your captain speaking. This is the first time I'm flying an aircraft in my life. But it's amazing what you can find on YouTube. I should know how to resolve all problems, but just be calm because this is going to be a, an incredible adventure. What would you be doing? I'd be like, Pressing exits, I don't know, you know how they always show you how to do the door thing? I'd be doing the door thing very quickly. You see, the thing is that we desire others to be the expert guides. We desire to go through season where others are the expert guides, but God is preparing you and I to be expert guides through this season of your life. You might have gone through a divorce and said, well, my life has ended. Well, maybe God has just allowed something of this season in your life. Why? Because you're needing to be equipped in the season that you find yourself in. Because you need to be an expert guide. Don't bail the process. Don't give up. But just don't presume that this is just what I have to adopt for the rest of my life. Why? Because God is equipping you to be an expert guide to walk others through the season that they find themselves in. You need to get people on your aircraft going down the runway. Because you are an expert God in what God has called you to. Psalm 23, we know so well, even though I walk through the valley, it's through that valley that God is preparing us. I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What about Hebrews 2 verse 18 and in the, in the Passion, it says, He, Jesus, suffered and endured every test and temptation. Why? So that He can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. He is there. Well, God, I don't know, the suffering is, well, Jesus knows. Oh, but this testing is, no, no, but Jesus knows. Well, what about this temptation? Well, well, Jesus knows. So, God, if you know, I can trust that I don't have to camp here anymore. But, Father, I'm able to move forward and I'm able to lean in. Why? Because as I start to lean in and start to move forward and, and start to trust in you, so I'm starting to imitate Jesus, not just his work in me, but his work through me to others around me. Let's carry on. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 6 to 7, and it carries on. And Paul says, when we suffer for Jesus, it works out for your healing and salvation. Huh. Huh. When we? When we? I don't want to suffer. Who loves suffering here? I just love it. Just hit me again, man. It's like... Oh, this is a hard one. Is this not a hard one? Teaching our kids, you're the best thing. We love you so much. You're just like amazing, the hero of the world. You can do anything. And then they find themselves in suffering. And they don't know how to deal with that. Huh. You see, it's in our suffering for Jesus. It works out for your healing and salvation. If we are treated well, given a helping hand and encouraging word, that also works to your benefit. I love that. It's like, well, that, that, that also works. But spurring you on, face forward. Face forward, unflinching. Your hard times are also our hard times. I love that picture of like, man, this is also, we're going we're gonna to carry this together. When we see that you're just as willing to endure the hard times as to enjoy the good times, we know you're going to make it, no doubt about it. Sir, ma'am, if you are willing to go through these hard times and to endure it, it's like, man, you're going to make it. Don't worry, you're going to make it. 
And so my number two point is our willingness declares the wonder of who He is. To be willing points to our readiness, our eagerness, our preparedness to do something. Why? Because of Him, who He is. My willingness to sacrifice, my willingness to go, my willingness to, to give up or to serve or to, to love upon is, is going to declare the wonder of who He is, not the wonder of who I am. It's the wonder of who He is. When I met Meg, my wife, for the first time, man, I wasn't earning a lot of money, but I was willing to empty my pockets for her sake. Why? Because she was worth it. I wasn't sitting going, hmm, Maybe I won't take her out for coffee today. I just don't have enough money. I would be like, man, what can I do? I'm going to go and rob the bank. <laughs> don't do that. But I was just like, whatever. I'm going to do this thing. I was willing to, to do whatever it takes because she was worth it. See, when God is worth it, when we are willing to give of ourselves, we, we declare something of the wonder of who He is. Why would you come here early on a 7 o'clock morning start to set up? Why? Because it's not for you. It's for Him. We're declaring the wonder of who He is. We're declaring the wonder of, of His majesty and His glory. The reason why we inconvenience ourselves and we do what God has called us, it is, man, He is worthy. The willingness in my heart would describe who He is. So the, 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 the lack of willingness or the greatness of willingness is describing our desire to see Him glorified and who He really is. Our willingness declares the wonder of who He is. See, 2 Corinthians, it speaks about our willingness to endure, to endure, which points towards Christ's unshakable nature. 1 Peter 2 speaks about our willingness to model an opposite spirit why? Because that declares the beauty of Christ in you. Isaiah 50 verse 7, it's our willingness to clothe ourselves in humility, which plants our identity in Christ-like brazenness. This is the willingness of saying, God, I'm willing. Why? Because you're worthy. Yeah? And my last one as we continue is 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8. We don't want you in the dark, friends about how hard it was when all this came down on us in Asia province. It was so bad. We didn't think we were going to make it. We felt like we'd been sent to death row, that it was all over for us. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. When lost were we forced to trust God totally. When is that moment where we are forced to trust God mo totally? <laughs> when last did you think that? Like, when is that moment when I'm forced, not I choose, I'm forced to trust God totally? Well, that's when you've got nothing else to trust in. <laughs> I know it sounds so simple. The one scripture that always gets me is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I sit and go, God, what does that look like? What part of my life? I have medical, I have insurance, I have salaries, I've got cars, I've got home, I've got friends, I've got community. When, when, when is this faith dynamic, Father? Where, where is it that I'm actually exercising faith in anything of my life? 
Oh, man. I sit and go, oh, Lord, help me here. Maybe that's why he gives us kids. And we're like, oh, we need faith. God help us. But that's the thing. It's like I think so often we build our lives to the glory of my name. The glory of my name. My sustaining power. My sustaining ability. My ability to keep this movement going forward in my life. But yet God says, well Paul says, like God took you to the nth degree where the line is drawn. Now there is no more trusting in Mark McKinley anymore. Oh my Lord, help me. Because it's at that moment where we, in a sense, cross over into a space where we know the hand of God. We experience Him so powerfully. Not a bad idea since He's the God who raises the dead, Paul carries on and says. So even if it brings you to death, it's like, don't worry, God's done that before, you'll be okay. (laughs) And He did it, rescued us from certain doom, and He'll do it again. How many of us can look over our shoulders and say God has been faithful? So why would we not trust Him for tomorrow? And He'll do it again, rescuing us as many times as we need rescue. You and your prayers are part of the rescue operation. I love the sense of community. I don't want you in the dark about that either. I can see your faces even now, lifted in praise for God's deliverance of us. A rescue in which your prayers played such a crucial part. Don't cease praying. My number three point is this. In our trusting of God, our testing turns into transformation. Two quick stories, quickly. And the first story is this. As it turns out, it was the best thing that could have happened is is what we read of is the first statement that I want to take out of that portion of Scripture. It says, as it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened for Daniel in the lion's den. The best thing that could have happened for Daniel himself personally was not to be thrown into a den of hungry lions. All right. This is the best thing that could have ever happened to me. I'll see you world again. I've been thrown into the den of lions, and this is the best thing that could have happened or can happen to me. No, 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 but yet we see that as he is thrust into this environment, which is like the worst thing that could have happened to you, what happens is God transforms it into the best thing that could have happened, not just for him, but for a whole nation. What about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? Man, the worst thing that could happen to you is be thrown into the burning fire. But the best thing that could have happened to them was be thrown into the burning fire. Because in that space, they see, oh, there's three people, but look, there's the fourth. Who is the fourth that looks like the Son of Man? And because of that, Nebuchadnezzar comes to his knees and surrenders his nation, his whole land, to the glory of God. Sometimes you're looking and saying, this is the worst thing that can happen to me, but yet it's actually the very best thing that can happen to you. (laughs) I have to preach this with a smile on my face because it's so difficult. (laughs) But I really just feel that people here who've been saying, this is the worst thing that can happen to me and this is it. And God's saying, no, it's not. Even though the lions are surrounding you, you have a guide, an experienced guide. Even though the fire is lapping at your ankles and is destroying those who have even captured captured you, it is the best thing to do is throw yourself in. Why? Because it's in that place that God's glory is revealed, not just for yourself, but because God is preparing you to be expert guards for others for the sake of His glory. And the last little statement that I want to pull out of this 
in our trusting of God, our testing turns into transformation. It says, and he'll do it again, rescuing us as many times as we need rescuing. I'd have to just call the, the musos up, the band. But Psalm, 100, uh, Psalm 18, verse 16 to 19 says this, And he sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. If I was the psalmist at this point, I would feel completely depressed. But it carries on. And they comforted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. He delighted in you. He delights in you. You might say, but Mark, on this side here, there is sin and brokenness that I don't know how to deal with. But you know what the amazing thing is that right in the middle, because of this grace, this loving Father, He looks upon it and He says, Mark, I delight in you. I delight in you. But, but what about God, all these things? He's like, well, I don't see them no more because I delight in you. Not what you do. Why? Because before Jesus did anything, God comes and says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Before anything? Yeah. Because he knew you before your parents even knew you. Even before your parents even thought about you. He knew you before the foundations of the earth. He knew you. What? He knew that I was going to mess up God. He knew that I was going to have this mountain of brokenness in my life. He knew that I was going to be divorced. He knew, yes, well, that's the sovereignty of God. He knew it all, but yet he sits and he says, Mark, like he said to the psalmist David, I delight in you. That must rock our world. Because we feel like this mountain is so hard to climb that we're sitting going, God, I feel so alone and so broken. I presume that this is just my reality now. And God says, no, I delight in you because you're my son. There's an inheritance. There's a future. There's something that you need to face forward with and start to walk into you need to look at your situation and not say this is the worst thing that could happen to me yes in your understanding but in my understanding it is the best thing that you could ever walk into i remember many years ago sitting in dulles airport six years ago a blizzard had come through and i remember we had to try and get to the airport because there were certain flights that they were canceling and in South Africa, we don't get the snow or where we live like you guys do here. And I was looking out the window and I just saw all the snow being sort of thrown into the air and into these big trucks. And I sort of went to the window and I looked at these massive machines that were picking up the snow off the runway and were sort of dumping them into these big trucks that were taking the snow away. Obviously, they were preparing for the aircrafts to take off. And at that moment, I remember God saying, Mark, even in the winter season of your life, you can still be effective if you are equipped with the right machinery to be able to walk the journey I've called you to. Even when you feel like it's all closed in, I will equip you with the right things, the right tools in your life to be able to start to excavate, to be able to start to push, to be able to start to open the way again. 
Why? Because I delight in you and I will never leave you in your state of brokenness. He will never. One of the greatest privileges of being a father is teaching your sons. Why? Because you were taught. And because you were taught, you want to teach them. Why? So that they could teach. So that they can teach. So that they can teach. My message this morning is very simple. Don't give up. Lift your hands again. Lift your heart again. Lift your countenance again. And say, God, teach me again. Teach me. I want to learn. I want to learn. If that's you this morning, saying, God, teach me again. I don't want to wish the season away, even though it's so difficult. I don't understand. I don't have all the answers. But God, all I want to know is that I want to face forward and keep walking because I want to trust you. Won't you stand if that's you this morning? I just want to pray. And then we're going to sing a song. But you're sitting and going, God, I don't understand. I don't understand why my children are the way they are. I don't understand why the business situation is the way it is. I don't understand why I'm suffering with a sickness. I don't understand. In all of this, there's one that's glorified. Because we start to imitate, imitate, sorry, him. How do you keep doing this? Well, I don't know, but there's something of this Jesus that I'm imitating. For the joy set before me, I endured the cross. Well, Jesus did that. So, Father, I pray right now. This is every eyes closed, every hand raised if they need to raise it to respond. Father, I thank you, God, that, Lord, you are empowering your church. Oh, God, let us never presume that we are defeated. But, Lord, let us be people that stand strong in these moments for the sake of your glory. You're worth it. I'm willing. Why? Because you're worth it. I'm willing, God. And so I pray even now, Father, that you would start to stir in the hearts of every person in this room. Let your grace start to fall, O God, where people have backed into a corner feeling like the sin and the condemnation is too weighty to the point of brokenness. Father, won't you come and move? Let your grace come. And release your power in their hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Just come, oh Jesus. Even in this moment, Lord. Mm -hmm. I just said one word for someone and there's a lady standing with her hands. She's got her eyes closed. Sorry. You've, uh, is that your wife next to you on the left? Yeah, sorry, you with your hands like this, yeah. Sorry, your name? Sandra. Is 
like a Sandy. Sandy, I just saw you standing there with your hands. I don't know why, I just see this black body bag in front of you. And it's zipped up. And you're looking at your life going, God, there's death all around me. And, and, I, and I just saw you and people were all around looking upon you and you were weeping at something of a broken dream of, of maybe something that's, that's died in your heart and in your, in your life and you looked at this body bag saying, man, God, there's death here and I don't know how to keep going. And, and I, just, I just felt like I saw you as people were looking and everyone was crying and, and you just didn't know what to do, but yet you had this wild idea of opening up this bag. Oh man, people are like, what are you doing? And I saw as you leaned over and, and the zip was right on the outside and people were like, what, what is going to happen? We're going to see a corpse here. You started to unzip something of this body bag. And as you started to unzip it, I just saw this person step out and there was just something of a reuniting of this that had come to death that had now come to life in you. I really feel like there are moments, there's a moment in your life where you, in a sense, allowed the truth that this thing was dead before you, and you've entertained that, but yet this morning I really feel like God is wanting you to unzip the very thing that is death in front of you so that life would start to ignite again. I really felt like there are dreams in your heart that God is sort of saying to you, Sandy, it's not like the shifting shores where the sand moves around. There's a certainty and a strength in you that God has placed in you. It's not like this is getting shifted around. It's like, man, I feel strong, but God, man, this is too difficult. And God's saying, I want you in your strength to bow down and to start to unzip the possibilities, start to unzip the potential, start to unzip the newness, start to unzip the seasons of change, start to unzip the healing that may come, start to unzip something of the core that you've laid for so many years on the shelf that God has on your life. Why? Because you're not going to be a shifting sand no more. You are a strong woman who is able to stand secure and know that God when life comes that life is going to be emanated from me into others and so I, I don't know what that looks like but I already sense for you Sandy God is saying unzip it now because there is something of a joyous season that is going to come I really felt the words that joy resounds in the tents of the righteous there is something of a joy that God is bringing back into your home into your marriage so is it your husband next to you so I, I always get nervous because you never know is it really yeah okay thank you Jesus would, would you would you can you stand together I just feel and those around can you just lay hands on this couple God is doing something powerful and so, Father, I pray even for them, Lord God, in their own lives. So let this be a moment, Lord God, where, Lord God, what will transcend the narrative that they have adopted in their world, Father God, would be the narrative of your word over their lives. And, Father, I pray right now, Lord God, that, Lord, you would unlock something of that even in their marriage today. I pray, God, I pray, sir, I didn't get your name, but, sir, I pray that, Lord, this would be a moment where you are able to courageously open your front door tomorrow morning and say, welcome, world, here I come. Why? Because there is joy that resounds in the tents of the righteous. From this day forward, no longer will there be weeping and gnashing of teeth, but joy will start to erupt. The body bag will be empty. Why? Because there's life that has come out. That you as a couple, God has called you to touch. I just see you touching people. I just see you touching others around you. I just see your hands touching the lives of 
of people all around you. And as you start to do that, I really just felt like you're going to start seeing life. You're going to start seeing joy. You're going to start seeing God's power upon every person that you get to, to touch with. And so I pray, God, that, Lord, you would continue to do that. I pray, God, that you would continue to empower them in them and through them, Lord God, in this moment. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness in their lives. There's an old song that says, let this be a sweet, sweet sound. I feel like there's a sweet sound that is coming from your marriage. There's a sweet sound that's coming from you guys as a couple. There's a sweet, sweet sound that speaks of God's faithfulness. In Jesus' name. Mm. Let's all sing. Should we all stand? Yeah.